As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 246 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, uh, this is a, an amazing list of Giants legends who have hit 246 over a season. Okay, you have JT Snow did it twice. Lance Necro did it once. Omar Vizquel did it once. Russ Ortiz did it in 2002. Good for you, Russ. Uh, Bob Brenly did it. Uh, Brandon Crawford did it in 2014. So that is an actual segue to maybe one of the topics of today. However, there's a lot going on in Giants land right now. How are you doing? I'm doing good. There's a lot going on and nothing going on since we have postseason baseball flying at us from all angles and the Giants are not one of those teams. And, you know, people are a little bit salty about that, I think. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I've I've noticed I've noticed some uh, some some discontent. I've noticed uh, some some folks are not happy. Um, Obviously, there's a manager's office that has been cleared out and the first order of business now. Um, is to find a successor for Gabe Kapler. And we met in the dugout with Farhan Zaidi for about 45 minutes uh, on Tuesday. And a lot of the questions were about that. And a lot of the other questions were just really sort of broad. And, uh, you know, I think people just don't... Usually these sessions are are very much, okay, who's hurt? Who's going to have surgery? Mm. Who are your arbitration eligible guys? Give us some thoughts on this position, that position. I mean, it's very nuts and bolts, usually. Give us your evaluation of different players. And there was some of that. I mean, he did say, uh, Farhan Zaidi did say that they want to give Marco Luciano every chance to be the opening day uh, an everyday shortstop next season, which I thought was interesting. Um, but for the most part, it was just very, a lot of sort of vague, overarching 
questions and answers or non-answers about just the, the state of the organization and, and, and how things are going to be different next season. And uh, so, yeah, it was a very different kind of session. And honestly, I don't know if we're really going to start getting some concrete answers until we figure out who they land on as manager, because that's probably going to tell us a lot about where things are going to go from there. Absolutely. I, I, I got that vibe uh, from from the postmortem press conference as well. And I think the format, which you alluded to in your article, had something to do with it. It just there's something about being up at a podium. And you got Larry Bear to your, your right and you got the manager to your left and uh, a little bit more formal, whereas this is almost like a postgame scrum in a way. So, yeah, not a ton of information, but I think what we're talking about now is just who's going to be the manager, who is going to fill that role. And you did it again where you heard words that seem innocuous at the time, and then you read between the lines and you come up with this idea. You did it before with Gabe Kapler when Farhan Zaidi said, oh, you know, we might be interested in someone who uh, maybe wasn't successful the first time around, but the second time around they've learned a few things. And you immediately thought of Gabe Kapler, and no one did. No, no one else did. You did. And now you heard a long-time uh, playing career that just ended, and you're not thinking Buster Posey. You're thinking Stephen Vogt. And I think you've done it again. I think that is definitely going to be one of those candidates. You know, everything that they mentioned, um, everything that Farhan Zaidi mentioned about how they want the next manager to be an effective recruiter, uh, how they need the next manager to be someone who has is relatable and, and personable and puts people at ease when they walk in a room. Uh, I think those are qualities that the next manager is probably going to have. And, um, you know, it's uh, he also mentioned, you know, having the heartbeat of the clubhouse and knowing that... Uh, you know, uh, sort of being connected to how the players are feeling and understanding that the move on paper that may be the right move uh, isn't the right move in reality and isn't going to play well in the clubhouse. And, you know, you need to be reaffirming in, in the decisions you make and not only put players in the best positions to succeed, you know, based on analytically what 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 works out best or how the software models, uh, you know, what works out best, but also just, you know, for, for giving people a chance to build momentum for themselves, you know, for not pinch hitting for them after they've hit a homer <laughs> and letting them just write out a positive game and take those vibes into the next day. It's, uh, you know, I, I think that having someone who is maybe a little more, has some more connectivity along those lines is going to be what they're looking for. And yeah, when he says, um, you know, there may be some people that I bring in that wouldn't quite be as concerned about stepping into an unstable situation where your president of baseball ops is essentially entering the, you know, lame duck year on his deal. Um, he said, maybe some of those issues are, aren't quite as important to candidates because they're candidates that I've worked with before and that I know. And hey, he worked with Stephen Vogt before, you know, in Oakland. Um, so, you know, there's, I think they're going to probably have some candidates that will surprise you, some that, um, you know, uh, represent different sort of paths that they could take. But I think that most of them are going to have that that quality in common where they're personable and they're relatable and, um, you know, they can be people who uh, recruit free agents well because, you know, I think that there's a lot of tacit acknowledgments that, you know, it, the Giants have to are a little bit of a harder sell now than, than they have been. And not just for position players, which has always been the case, but maybe for pitchers a little bit too. Yeah. No, this all tracks. This all tracks. And when you're talking about what do the Giants need from a manager in 2024, and it's not about 
it's strategy anymore. Like that's not what you're looking for in a manager necessarily because it's all it kind of just, just funneled into this general idea of you don't want to give up outs. You don't want to do this. You want to not grind your pitchers into dust. There are so many commonalities now between all the managers. This isn't 2002 where you're like, this manager's heard of on base percentage. My God, you know, it's not like that anymore. So what are you looking for and what do the Giants need specifically? And to me, the number one thing is like, guy who's going to make rookies feel comfortable that to me is the number one goal for the Giants is to get someone who can foster that next generation put them in positions to succeed make them feel comfortable uh, tough love when it's 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 uh, called for that's what the Giants need more than anything else and if they can get that with someone who is uh, maybe a better face of the franchise someone who's a better uh, has a little bit more charisma someone who is more of a genial sort of fella. Uh, that is the package deal. And that sounds like Stephen Vogt to me. I don't want to just put a pin and say, that's that's my guy. I've made my decision because I have no idea what goes into the stuff behind the scenes. But those two things, just talking to the media, making the fans at ease, but also getting those rookies into a, a situation where they can emerge and blossom into veterans. Yeah, and and you know the other name that that Farhan Zaidi actually did drop uh, was was Pat Burrell, and Pat Burrell is has been in the Giants organization as a scout, as a roving hitting instructor, and you know I I have not talked to him. I don't know if I mean we know that Buster Posey is not going to sign up to be the manager of this team and 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 be sort of beholden to a 162 game schedule. I mean he's he retired for a reason and his you know he wants to spend more time with his family which you know is obviously has a lot of demands and is a very young family and and that's that's his deal. You know he's he's going to operate and contribute as you know an owner and a member of of the the board and and put in his two cents and I think people are really going to listen to him. But I don't know if Pat Burrell would, would want to sign up for for everything that goes into being the manager and, and the ways that you you basically you hand over your life to that job. Um, but if he did, you know, uh, he's a guy who really knows all the young players in the system very well. He's been a big advocate for some of them, including uh, Luis Matos. Um, and, and I just go back to 2010 and how much that team changed the moment he arrived. Uh, and that team was not a perfect team. That team was not a juggernaut. They were in fourth place at the All-Star break. Um, you know, they, uh, they they were sufficiently desperate for, for an outfielder, someone who could hit for some power, that they picked him up, you know, on a waiver claim or basically as a free player uh, after he'd been released by um, uh, by Tampa Bay. And and from the time he showed up, it's like they, they all of a sudden, they were more professional. They were, they were more confident. They had that swagger. And... Uh, and, you know, a lot of players told me at the end of that year when they won the World Series that Pat Burrell did a lot to change that team. And I think about what you need in a manager, and it's got to be someone who, as you say, I think that's a great point you make about imbuing um, young players with confidence. Uh, it's also having presence and having, you know, uh, being someone who can command that kind of respect. And I think that, that Pat Burrell could do that. And also um, someone who you know, understands the game, understands the modern game, but also understands players and knows when to push back, you know, and and, uh, and is confident enough in himself to do that or to offer, um, you know, a sort of a, a dissenting voice uh, when sometimes if you're maybe a little more conflict averse, you, you wouldn't do that. So I, I just think that that mentality checks a lot of boxes. And again, I, I don't know if Pat Burrell would be interested in it. I don't know if he'd be a candidate, 
but he's a, a name that Farhan Zaidi did did drop uh, the other day, and um, he is in the organization. Uh, so I wonder. I wonder if that'll be even a conversation that'll be had. One of my favorite Pat Burrell experiences was being in uh, the press box in uh, Scottsdale in 2012, I believe it was. And just I'm doing my work, and behind me I hear, what the F is ERA plus? And I turn around, <laughs> it was it was Pat Burrell. And he was in the press box, and he just looks like, well, ERA plus? And then I was sitting next to Jeff Sullivan, uh, formerly of... Fan graphs and now uh, working for the Rays and Jeff Sullivan calmly explained ERA plus to Pat Burrell. Still my all-time favorite interaction. And you know, to his credit, he kind of you know gave like, a, okay, okay, I see how that might work. So um, that's like my one Pat Burrell story. I don't know. It, he, I really don't want him to like uh, search Twitter for my uh, Pat Burrell mentions. Uh, he he just needs to stay far away from any <laughs> jokes I've made on Twitter <laughs> about him and uh, uh, that sort of thing. But yeah. That's that's what that's what you need. You need uh, gravitas. You need uh, someone who can uh, be light, but also be firm. And and yeah, that does check a lot of boxes as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, and I'm not saying that. Oh, Pat Burrell's obviously the choice to be the next manager of the Giants. He's never managed before, but but I think a lot of those qualities are, are qualities that uh, that they'll be looking for, and, and and probably would serve the Giants very well in their next manager. And and, and I think once we find out who the manager is, uh, we'll probably have a much better window into just how games are going to be managed next year. And then, you know, it'll be, obviously, the next big sign will be, you know, who the players are that they're going to go after. I mean, if, if their highest paid player is once again a, a left-handed DH uh, that can't hit uh, left-handed pitching, uh, then you're going to know how they're going to run games next year. But yeah. uh, if they make more well-rounded choices, if they really do, uh, you know, clear the decks for some of the young players while, while supporting them with people who are everyday players who you know, really can, you know, play to the ninth inning of every game, uh, then, you know, I think that uh, maybe we'll have an idea that the games maybe run a little bit differently next year. Yeah, not to belabor the point, but just to go back with how the, the managerial position has changed. Uh, if you think about the evolution of Dusty Baker, right? What was Dusty Baker like when he was a manager of the Giants versus what is he doing now? And he, it's a, he's a very different manager. He is, uh, you know, all of the old bugaboos that people had about Dusty Baker, whether it was uh, a bunting and small ball and, and, and using his pitchers uh, to, and running them into the ground and too many pitches. Like, that's all gone, man, because it's gone from everyone. There isn't a manager around who's doing the old school stuff like they used to. Uh, Dusty Baker adapted, and he adapted very well. He's, he's been an excellent manager in Houston. So that's you might see some names of, of guys who have been around before, you know, obviously not Dusty Baker, but uh, guys that maybe you're thinking are, are old school or maybe they've, uh, they're an old dog, you can't teach new tricks. I just don't think that's true when it comes to the managerial position anymore. And you know the other thing is is if the Giants really do get back to their soul, I think it's always been very very important to them. You know, especially in you know the Peter McGowan uh, years. Uh, you know, when when they had Dusty and had to replace him. I mean, they went with Felipe Alou, and so they went with someone who was respected, someone who had Giants ties. You know, someone who would really fit right in with the DNA of the franchise as, as they saw it at the time. And when Bruce Bochy replaced Felipe Alou, I think it was a little different for some folks because Bruce Bochy didn't have any Giants ties. He obviously knew the division very well. He obviously was the right choice, we know now in retrospect, but, you know, he wasn't the most exciting choice at the time. And I think a lot of it was because 
there wasn't an instant connection with him the way it was with Felipe, the way it was with Dusty, and then obviously Roger Craig before that. And, you know, the Giants fired a manager with something left on his contract for the first time in 38 years. I wow. mean, that's, it's it's the most volatile position maybe in, in pro sports. And the Giants somehow made themselves sort of immune to it for the better part of four decades, which, you know, there's nothing special or, or, or you know, um, exceptional about the Giants franchise in that regard. They just had a good run of, of very stable managers that uh, connected with fans, connected with players, and, and obviously had, um, you know, a, a lot of uh, stature. And, you know, I, I think it, it probably is going to be important that the Giants, you know, hire somebody who isn't just, you know, a rando and someone who who does have a connection to the fans. And I don't know if Stephen Vogt would, would qualify. I mean, he's 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 just starting his, his uh, coaching career. He's obviously known much more for his time in Oakland than San Francisco. But, man, everybody who has an interaction with Stephen Vogt, I think, is left... Uh, you know, with a positive impression. He's just such a positive person. Um, you know, he's he's a funny person. Um, you know, I, th- I think he's he's very prepared, very diligent. Um, yeah, I, I've seen some of the videos from some of his camps that he's done with kids, and it's like, send. I, I want to go to that camp. <laughs> I'm 47. <laughs> I how much is it? I'll write you a check right now. Um, that looks like fun. So I I, I just think that uh, even though maybe Stephen Vote isn't uh, you know sort of a Felipe Alou type. Um, I kind of think that he'd be really, I think the the reaction would be pretty positive if if the Giants hired him. I mean, what do you think Giants fans, because that's an important part of the equation. What do you think Giants fans want? Do they want someone who's familiar, a name that they want? Do they want someone who's gregarious and and charismatic? Do they want uh, just like your typical uh, uh, pot-bellied manager with a Wilford Brimley mustache waddling out and and saying, you know, and and looking crusty because that's our mental image of a manager? What do you think Giants fans want? Yeah, they want Tim Lincecum with a towel stuffed inside his jersey. <laughs> That's perfect. Take, that, taking the lineup card out. That's all, what they want. All of the boxes are checked right there. Yeah. I mean, I heard someone say, like, Will Clark. And, like, look, I respect Will Clark's contributions to the Giants history, but... I, that's just, you know, word association, basically. Like, you're just thinking of a name of a guy that made you happy once. You know, I, what do Giants fans want? You know, I, I obviously I didn't grow up a Giants fan. I, I feel fortunate that um, when they won the World Series, it was in my seventh year on the beat, not like my first or second, because it allowed me at least a little time to understand sort of the. I, I always use this wrong. Is it pathos or ethos, whatever it is of, of the fan base, and um, yeah, and and so I kind of I kind of get what Giants fans want, and and to me, what they want is to to root for their guys. You know, to have their guys and root for their guys. And I I think that there's an understanding, especially now that sort of the thirst has been slaked a little bit by the three World Series championships, although, you know, they're getting further and further away from us now. Um, I think that Giants fans want to go to the ballpark, root for their guys, feel like they have a chance to win, feel like they have a chance to be watching a season that could could be meaningful, could be special, could be magical if things break right. Um, but that I think that's what Giants fans want, and and that's the biggest thing that's been missing with the lack of roster continuity. And and obviously the last guy just left, just walked out the door, Brandon Crawford. So um, the decks are sort of clear now from the championship era, and. I think that's going to be the number one thing that the Giants need to do is get some guys, get some guys that can be, you know, our guys, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me, let's put it like this. Uh, Former Giants catchers in franchise history who ended up managing in the majors, you have Bob Brentley, 
you have Bob Melvin, current, and uh, often rumored that the Giants might be interested in him. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, you have Mike Matheny. Uh, so uh, let me run some names by you uh, other than vote. Uh, <clears throat> A.J. Brzezinski? <laughs> Oh, that was set up so purely. Yeah, that was Bobby so Estalea. Good. Yeah, ooh, yeah, Bobby. Why not? Your Torrealba, uh, Yamid Hod. What's he doing these days? Hey, Yamid. That's you a want good, a job? That's always such a good pull. I love yeah. pulling. A, uh, I was on foul territory with AJ Prasinski and Eric Kratz, and uh, they asked me if I remembered that Eric Kratz was on the Giants, and I said, "Oh man, are you kidding? I'm a Giants backup catcherologist. Uh, I, I like yearn for the days of Yamid Had and Guillermo Quiroz, and you know, so those are my bona fides." Yeah, yeah, and and there have been some good ones over the years. Backup catchers are well. Tim Brown wrote a whole book about backup catchers yep. with Eric Kratz as, as sort of his uh, his main sort of character study, I think. And uh, yeah, there's there's a reason that backup catchers are. I mean, they move around a lot because they're kind of fungible in, in a lot of ways, and sometimes they're they end up uh, you know getting sent up and down a lot, and so they run out of options, and and uh, and then they end up getting DFA'd and, and passed around a bit, but. Yeah, you know, good good backup catchers are, are just good people generally, and that's why they're in demand because they're just good teammates. It makes mm. probably more difference to them than than any other. Um, you know, being a swell guy is actually a pretty important thing if you're a backup <laughs> catcher. So, um, so yeah, you know, it's uh, I, I think there's a reason a lot of catchers become managers, and and they're not always even the star level catchers either. Do you think the Giants would? Be interested in like a, a name brand manager like Bob Melvin, that someone who hasn't just uh, managed before but has been around the block. Like I'm, I'm going to stop short of saying Buck Showalter, but someone who's you know got a ton of experience, someone who can come in and really uh, bring that experience and have that kind of commanding presence. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's. Uh... Now I'm just sort of my mind is going to backup catchers. I just had Justin Knadler <laughs> pop in my head, so I'm, I'm completely distracted now. But um, yeah, that'll happen. I mean, it's you know, once one second you're talking about Steve Holm, and the next second you're you know you're you're off into Trevor Brown territory. So yeah, Steve Holm actually is, has turned into a, a really good college coach. He's um, is he really? Uh, Where's he coaching? Yeah, uh, he was at Illinois State, and I think he went to Purdue. Maybe. Oh wow. Um, okay. Yeah, no. Steve Holm has has had a, a really nice college coaching career. Um, yeah, let's see. He is uh, the head coach at Illinois State right now. So yeah. Okay. Okay. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. No, Trey Lunsford. There we go. 
Oh, wow. That's a deep pull. Yeah, that's a good one. I love, I don't um, know why I love just referencing random Giants backup catchers. Anyway, it, so it, when do you think that there's going to be, I, it seems like the offseason's on hold until they find someone. That that would be uh, my general take on the situation. So this is going to get done sooner rather than later. Would you think that's fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the way that uh, it was sketched out is that, you know, as we're recording this on Wednesday the 4th, uh, the rest of this week, they're going to talk to internal candidates. Uh, the way Farhan Zaidi mentioned it was one or two internal candidates. I, I got to think there'll be at least one from, from the current coaching staff, whether that's Mark Hallberg or Craig Albernaz. Susan Slusser reported that Craig Albernaz is going to be a candidate for the um, Guardians job in Cleveland as well. Um, Kai Correa, obviously, as the bench coach, would be the number one coach on the staff. Uh, so I don't know if he would merit an interview or not. And they're going to have to decide how many of these coaches uh, they, they hope to keep or hope to retain. Um, you know, they lost Brian Bannister. So, you know, would they really prioritize trying to find a way to keep Andrew Bailey and J.P. Martinez and try to keep some of their pitching infrastructure in place? Because if they don't, they're going to have to rebuild all that and find new people. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I think that the rest of this week they'll they'll hammer out their internal candidates and then they're going to put out their permissions uh, next week. Uh, and, you know, there could be a candidate or two uh, that is uh, in the postseason uh, right now, and they're going to have to obviously wait a little bit. And then, you know, we'll see if they have a, um, uh, you know, an off day in the middle of the postseason schedule when they're allowed to announce something. Uh, maybe uh, we'll be hastily called to the uh, dugout at the ballpark <laughs> for a press conference. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a Zoom. We're just going to Zoom it. Um but, uh, yeah, I, I assume that by the time free agency starts, uh, they'll have somebody in place. And, and you know, they, they've said that's going to be important to them. Uh, what do you think about Ron Wotos? Uh, I've heard some chatter. Do you think that the, the fans would respond well to Ron? Well, I mean, I know they would, but would that get fans excited? I guess would be my larger question. I, I don't know. I think it probably depends. I mean, I never want to assume that fans are a monolith, you know, even though it's pretty easy to refer, um, you know, to reactions as being a little bit more, you know, big thumbs up or big thumbs down. I think there are some fans who would really welcome it because they want to return to, you know, maybe a little bit more of a traditional style of baseball. And I think mm -hmm. that they probably could could uh, have a, a better expectation of, of seeing that with a guy like Ron Woodis. And there may be other fans who want someone who is going to be a little bit of a better blend, maybe, of the new school and the old school. I think Ron would be a little more of the old school, um, and, you know, maybe it wouldn't be quite as hand-in-glove with uh, the analysts across the office, uh, but, you know, he's also someone who is, is able to use and process new information, too. So, um, But I think if Ron Wotus is the manager of this team, he's going to do things his way, uh, and he would be pretty forthright about that, and, and so, you know... Uh, there certainly would be some healthy, uh, um, I guess, sort of uh, back and forth uh, with how they want to, you know, write out lineups or pinch hit or or use players. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm not sure if, if it would work or not. The, the reason I mentioned him a while back was because I just figured it was going to be tough for them to hire a manager when their president has one year left on his contract. And you're probably not going to get somebody who's in demand uh, and certainly, you know, maybe not give them, you know, a three or four year deal or whatever. Uh, when you know, stepping into a little bit of an uncertainty in terms of you know one more really bad year and they could clean house in baseball operations, so I assume that they would want someone who would would be willing to take the job 
for just a year and then sort of see how it goes. And, you know, maybe Ron Wotus would be willing to do that. I don't know. Um, you know, obviously he's wanted to manage for a long time, but I don't think he's necessarily willing to step into any situation. Sure. Uh, it's got to be something that he'd be he'd feel good about. And so, you know, they they've got a lot to figure out. Uh, and I, I don't think that they can really close any doors at this point. They have to they have to sort of ch- uh, look at different people and, and how they might fit. And and not only uh, pass, you know, muster with Farhan Zaidi, but be able to pass muster with Larry Bear and with Buster Posey and with Greg Johnson. And I'll tell you what, there was a lot of skepticism over Gabe Kapler's hiring uh, after the 2019 season, and Farhan Zaidi convinced everybody that this is the right guy. And I think that if there is that skepticism that exists this time around, I don't know if it's going to be so easily brushed off, um, you know, because they, he sort of had his his pick uh, over any objections or concerns. Uh, so I don't know if he's going to have that kind of latitude again. That makes total sense. I, 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 I'm going to think outside the box here. Uh, trade for Mike Trout, make him player manager. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how much of the contract will the Angels eat? Because that's a lot of money. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. money. And I think the yeah. Giants could afford it. So whether well, that's a topic maybe for the offseason. But uh, yeah, uh, it's it's fascinating. I just I, I don't know what the Giants can do this offseason to make this a team where you're looking at it going, oh, heck yeah, that they're pretty clear favorites for at least one of the three wild card spots. I just don't see it. I don't see it in free agency. You know, even if they get Otani, which they probably won't, I just don't see how this team becomes the, oh yeah, that's definitely a contender. So it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be fascinating. And I think the, the manager is going to walk into a little bit of a tough spot, but the number one goal is going to be make or help foster a roster that can be sustainable, that can be familiar, that can that can have some continuity, and that, you know, get Marco Luciano in there and figure out the best way to manage Marco Luciano and Luis Matos. And uh, I'm assuming that Wade Meckler will be on the, the up and down because he's going to have a ton, he's going to have options. Uh, that's the manager's job to me. So it, I, I just don't know who's going to do that well. Uh, I'm assuming that the Giants are going to try and figure it out. So let me see if I sort of sketch out an offseason for you. What if the Giants sign Cody Bellinger, they sign Matt Chapman, they sign Yoshinobu Yamamoto, they, um, uh, let's say they sign Reese Hoskins, right? And maybe they let a few other players go. Um, and they trade some young pitching for maybe a young flashy infielder or something. Um, and they tender Mikey Stremski, they tender Austin Slater, maybe they even tender J.D. Davis. Um, you know, obviously, they don't have roster space for everybody, but uh, uh, would would that team excite you? Do you think that team would have a chance? Yeah. I mean, and again, I think the Giants have a chance next year for for sure. They could have, uh, you know, Keaton Wynn could blossom. There's a lot of pass, a lot of sliding doors that could make the Giants, you know, not just contending for a wild card spot, but doing something maybe even a little bit more. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm pessimistic, but as far as just on paper, you're looking at it going, oh man, they nailed it. They nailed it. And that's the team to beat. Uh, what you presented yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, you know, you're gotten a, you, you've got that uh, top level starting pitcher uh, to, to match with, with Webb and you're assuming uh, you're going to have Alex Cobb back. Uh, that would that would track. Um, I, I think there is a path to that. I don't know if there's going to be a path where you expect it, though. 
Yeah, and you know, the one thing is a lot of the position players that are out there are Scott Boris guys. And for the most part, you know, if you're a Scott Boris client, um, you're whoever offers the most money generally uh, is the team that that ends up with the player. And so even if we talk about the Giants and, well, they've lost some of their free agent luster, they need to, you know, be a little more convincing that they're a good landing spot, that they're still a marquee franchise, all this other stuff, you know, the, the way you bridge that gap, just offer more money. And, yeah. and, and then offer a little more than that to offset the California taxes because you're going to have to do that. But, um, you know, so and I know Dave Fleming does not like to hear about California taxes, <laughs> but they do exist. You do have to pay maybe a little bit more if, if uh, a team's got, uh, a player's got leverage. But, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, at least you think, well, these guys are all Scott Boris clients. That's a bad thing. That may be a good thing for the Giants because mm-hmm. you just have to offer the most money and then you can bridge any other gaps. Yeah, I did. I'm going through and trying to figure out what they could have done last uh, offseason to prevent what happened this season. And uh, spoilers, the, there wasn't a ton, right? The real errors came with not going over the top and beating out the Phillies for Bryce Harper. The errors were not going after Zach Wheeler and it really just asserting themselves in that conversation. Garrett Cole being in those positions where you have the money and you see a player that's probably worth the money, not just giving them a little stupid money, right? The Giants are trying to be smart money. They just needed to be a little bit stupid money when yeah. when there was an opportunity. So that's the real issue. And I, I think they've learned that. I would like to think they've learned that lesson. It, it sounds like when you're hearing Zaidi talk that, yes, maybe this is uh, the, the season that we, we give stupid money. They gave stupid money to Carlos Correa. You know, his ankle just had right. termites in it. And I think that Cole wanted to go to the Yankees. Sometimes you're just going to be up against it. But, you know, Kevin Gossman to me was, I mean, he wanted to come back. And, and he, he's a very good pitcher. And, and he, I think, would have been worth the contract. And, and, you know, you don't know. I remember thinking when the Rangers spent like a billion dollars on Corey Seager and Marcus mm-hmm. Simeon. I'm like, what are they doing? That, I did they're not just like gonna, that. They're going to hamstring their franchise for half a decade when these contracts don't work out. And you look up, and, and there's Bruce Bochy blasting himself with uh, with with champagne. And uh, and they obviously you know had a great year and were the best team in the American League for the first half of the season, and and uh, and are in the postseason and and already lead their playoff series. So you know sometimes you don't know, and, and a lot of times these free agent deals don't work out. Most of the times they don't, but. You know, those two deals changed that franchise, and maybe those are the kinds of deals the Giants needed and, and were in, in position as a franchise uh, to make, and, you know, they operated short-term. They wanted to keep—and I give them credit for this. They didn't know who was going to emerge from this farm system. They had a year of no minor league baseball, which everyone dealt with, right? But it delayed them sort of knowing, okay— we need to keep these avenues clear for these young players. We don't want to block them, the ones who really look like they can be contributors. And they needed time to figure that out. And I think now they're probably at a point where they have a better idea. And so, you know, maybe it is time to spend some stupid money. The problem is there's just not a lot of people to spend it on. Yeah, but horrible offseason for stupid money. But I, I do think you're right. People say, I, I get a lot on Twitter like, oh, the Giants have had five seasons to rebuild this. And it, man, farm systems are weird. You take over a farm system with a bunch of teenagers and it, it's going to take some time to hash all this out. This season, that is the number one positive from this season is that they have a little bit more information with which to play. So, um I think that's going to be, you know, what's what's important going forward. And we're we're over time, but I just want to layer on one more point because I've I've heard people say, well, what you know, what has the Farhan regime done internationally? Uh, it's like, 
Well, hey, look, Marco Luciano was signed, you know, long before Farhan Zaidi started, uh, and he's just debuting this year as a 22-year-old. Uh, same with Luis Matos. And these kids are, they're signing sort of off the books sort of agreements when they're sometimes 13 years old. So, yeah. you know, I, I mean, it, it's its not like you should be looking at the first international signing class five years later. It's more like seven or eight years later. So I don't think we have any idea just how much they've inputted to their system from an international standpoint. Uh, and I don't think we will know for a couple more years, uh, although Rainier Arias does look pretty impressive. So, you know, that's just another thing where the jury's still kind of out a little bit. The Braves signed to Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies in 2014. Like, it takes yeah. time, you know? Yeah. All right. This has been episode number 246 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. We will be back. Uh, boy, I don't even know when we'll be back. We'll be back. I, will, we, will we be back I next week? believe we're shifting into an as-needed basis. So probably, mm. I would imagine, we'll have some reaction to the manager hiring the ne- next time you'll hear from yeah. us. All right, we'll be back to talk about A.J. Pierzynski and what his plans for the team will be. Uh, We will see you then. Thanks for listening.